All right, we are back. Let's do some scientific uh, or medical type issues in this segment, shall we? Haven't done that in a while. I was struck last week by an Associated Press article repeated in the San Francisco Chronicle on the story of Viktor Yushchenko, the which is who is the Ukrainian challenger in the disputed election over there. Viktor Yushchenko's face underwent a dramatic transfiguration between September and the present time. That looking at the two pictures, it is it's stunning. It's shocking. He was known for his ruggedly handsome, almost movie star good looks, and he's now has a pockmarked, swollen face with one side partially paralyzed, an eye that keeps tearing. Uh, I don't think he's got a Bell's palsy. He looks really bad. And um, he apparently checked into a clinic in, um, in Austria. They said they could neither prove nor rule out that he'd been poisoned. And uh, his doctors in Kiev, the Ukrainian capital, said they had determined that chemicals not of food origin had triggered the illness. Now, I, I must confess to some shortcomings in the field of toxicology. I don't know that much about various poisons and agents, but uh, with the issue being raised about Yasser Arafat and uh, Viktor Yushchenko, uh, we, we may in the, in the months to come here seek to get someone on this program to talk about it. It certainly is a worthy uh, topic. In the Ukraine, Yushchenko's political opponents claimed that he'd eaten a bad plate of sushi and washed it down with too much cognac prompting Yushchenko to counter that uh, it was certainly no spoiled food. You know, it occurs to me that Radio Parallax does have a toxicology correspondent. Dr. Howard McKinney of the Department of Pharmacy at UC Davis knows a thing or two about that. We're going to have to put some of these questions to him when we, uh, and probably in conjunction with or uh, perhaps completely apart with, are having a return to the program to talk about cannabinoids. And Howard, if you're listening, uh, I propose that we uh, we talk about this subject and maybe have a little sushi and wash it down with a bit of cognac. All right, a couple of pure science items. Uh, New Scientist magazine last December, they have a segment called Histories, which are almost inevitably fascinating. And in uh, in the Histories segment on September 4th was an article about the Carrington event. Apparently... On September 1st, 1859, Richard Carrington, who was a wealthy um, astronomical observer, was counting sunspots. He was observing um, the surface of the sun, viewed uh, through a projection via a telescope, and noticed that all of a sudden there was a large white spot on the surface of the sun. He, uh, he ran out to get someone else to witness this with him because it was quite unusual. By the time he got back, he noticed that it was, uh, it was fading already, just 60 seconds later. And not long after that, uh, it disappeared. But apparently, Harrington had witnessed a flare on the surface of the sun, which uh, burped a lot of material out and was speeding all of this material toward the Earth. And in fact, 17 and a half hours later... This stuff off the solar flare slammed into the Earth and caused what, uh, what to this day is considered to be the largest magnetic anomaly um, to strike the Earth, at least since we have a magnetometer out there to measure such things. Now, what's strange about these kinds of solar storms, uh, we, had, we had a few uh, last year that were near record-breaking, but apparently even, even as, when I say near record-breaking, they still paled in comparison to this event back in 1859 that was inadvertently viewed by 
Richard Carrington. Uh, the newly developed uh, Telegraph had lines strung out across the eastern United States, and what the, what these events will do is sometimes induce magnetic um, field movements, which cause electric currents. And apparently, telegraph devices were sparking and bursting into flame in some cases as a result of this event. At that time, um, there were auroras visible as low as 23 degrees from the uh, geomagnetic equator. That's a record that apparently still stands. Um, they've been trying to go back and measure indirectly from the from the ice caps in Greenland some fingerprints of events like this, and they found uh, a few in the past several hundred years that may have been this large. But no one's quite sure what's going to happen when the next big one like this erupts. There was a storm in March 1989 that basically knocked out power all across Quebec. Yet people who endeavor to measure such things say this 1859 event was apparently three times as powerful as what happened in 1989. Interesting article. I'd refer you back to New Scientist, 4th of September of this year, for some, some further reading on the topic. And uh, we might want to send you down to the local hardware store to see if you can't get yourself a good surge protector for the computer. But of course, when one of these things hit, uh, why? Look out. I just hope that the shielding that they have in place in all of our uh, all of our satellites, which we've now come to depend on for uh, for communications and even for driving around and telling where you are in your car, well, I just hope those satellites are adequately protected. We're going to find out. And let's actually cite another histories. It was actually from two weeks later, same magazine, an article on titled "The Accidental Rainforest." Um, if you look on the map. I look on the globe uh, of the world, you'll notice that there are these small islands out in the mid-Atlantic. One of these is Ascension Island. Uh, these are the tips of volcanoes off the mid-Atlantic ridge. Uh, St. Um, Saint Helena, where they exiled Napoleon, is another. Uh, actually, Iceland is a similar large group of islands that's, um, that's related. But there are these, these, these lonely, forlorn islands out in the middle of the Atlantic are some of the most isolated inhabited spots on Earth. Uh, Charles Darwin stopped off at Ascension in uh, 1863 and described it as an, an island entirely destitute of trees. This island was only about a million years old, geologically young, and apparently uh, migrating birds had never managed to get any trees out to it. Uh, it only had ferns. Well, um, as it became occupied, the, the British Royal Navy decided it would be a nicer place if they would plant some vegetation, so... They got tropical trees from all over the world and started planting them. What's now happened is there has sprung up a rainforest. Like many places else on Earth, um, the vegetation on top of the peak uh, enhances the cooling and it's sort of got a feedback loop, produces more rainfall, which produces, you know, a better environment for the trees, etc. So what we've done here on Ascension Island is reversed what's being done in much of the world um, where, where rainforests are being wiped out. On this little island, one was created. They created a man-made tropical cloud forest. Now, of course, this has ecologists in a dither because these species that are interacting did not co-evolve. They didn't come from the same place. It's just a, a haphazard ecological mix. And uh, there's a movement from the Ascension authorities to go out and basically dig up some of the more invasive uh, plants and nobody, nobody's sure what to do. It's, it's, a, it's a laboratory, a natural laboratory. And the truth is at least four endemic species have gone extinct since they've got these exotics that are all over the place. I don't know. It's, 
it's it's a fascinating uh, bit of ecology, and uh, it, there may be maybe some good things are going to come out of studying this. We may learn how to uh, to challenge some of our ideas on uh, on how tropical rainforests are being damaged. It may be that you don't need to have as much coevolution between the constituent species as we think. At least um, one hopes so. But I think what I find most curious about this is that that uh, Ascension Island always had water trouble. I mean, in other words, people went to the island and there wasn't much water to be found. Well, once they got this rainforest going, this cloud forest that was squeezing uh, moisture out of uh, of the atmosphere, they noted even by 1865 that the island now possessed a thicket, upwards of 40 kinds of trees, and that through the spreading of vegetation, the water supply is now excellent. A reminder, we're going to have uh, Trina Ray, astronomer from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, come on in the next couple of weeks to talk about the up- upcoming Huygens mission to Titan. Fascinating stuff going on there uh, out uh, near near the planet Saturn. Uh, a little bit closer to home out on Mars, the rovers are still running around. And, of course, summer, it's now getting, the days I think are getting longer at this point. So, uh, so these little rovers are way past the warranty and, and likely to produce a lot more good science. Um, this month's issue of, uh, this week's issue of New Scientist magazine is raising the question of uh, what's making all the methane on Mars. This is something we covered in this program some months ago. I'm not sure why they're just getting to the issue now. But um, I guess what it is is they realize that some of these components of the atmosphere, these peroxides, would react with methane. So the fact that there is methane in the atmosphere is proof that something is producing it in large quantities. Of course, the big, the $64 question is, might it be microbes? Might it be life beneath the surface uh, versus a more natural geologic process? Nobody's sure yet, but I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't uh, bet completely against um, organisms just yet. Now, it's, been our, it's, our, it's our belief on this program, based on our consultation with numerous experts, our consensus view, with a few dissenters, is that probably the world's number one major problem is the fact that we have not reigned in the human population. In support of that, as an article from this week's New Scientist titled, Goodbye, Cruel World, noting that uh, people and animals just don't seem to mix, and studies are showing that species of animals are dying out at an alarming rate, and the problem is worse where the human populations are growing the fastest. We, um, we don't think about this living in Western society, but an awful lot of people on planet Earth get by living off the land, and as the population continues to grow, they, uh, they get by by eating whatever they can find, which may be turtles, it may be birds, it may be small mammals, whatever, but uh, the growth of humans in various areas is just wreaking havoc on the natural population. And uh, until we get this under control, uh, I don't think this is going to um, get better. What's most disturbing about this is that for the past 20, 25 years, your, your Christian right, your religious zealots have decided that um, this is not really an issue. This is not something that the U.S. should concern itself with. The world should not concern itself with. More people are good. And that, uh, you know, this just simply isn't a problem. Well, we think that it is a problem. In fact, we think it's probably the, the biggest problem the world's going to face in the next couple of generations. Uh, working against that, of course, are crises like the possible um, pandemic of influenza or bird flu, which may be just around the corner. The fact that HIV is uh, chipping away at populations in Africa and Asia. 
And of course, unstable political situations leading to wars does, does lower populations in various locales. Nevertheless, in spite of all that, the human growth rate continues at a rather unhealthy clip. I just wish that we would treat it like the problem that it is. On this show, we will continue to lobby in that direction. Good friend of mine I work with is from Zimbabwe. He and I have been watching elections uh, both in Zimbabwe and here for the past four years. And <laughs> between the two of us, we're pretty much scoring at uh, freedom zero, uh, forces of tyranny four. In that, um, in that, well, I just have my doubts about the outcome of the 2000 and 2004 elections, and as well as the 2002 election in the U.S. And of course, the Zimbabwe election, with, where Robert Mugabe basically. Uh, used every trick in the book to defeat Morgan uh, Svingarai, uh, was another low point of recent electoral uh, politics around the world. On, on a positive note, Morgan Svingarai has now been cleared by the Zimbabwe Supreme Court and has been released to uh, lead the political opposition to Robert Mugabe in that southern African country. I suppose I'm overstating the case if I call, uh, I, I call the GOP in this country forces of tyranny. But it's not overstating the case in Zimbabwe, that's for sure. Uh, Robert Mugabe has to go, and the sooner the better. But, um, you know, in a country like Zimbabwe, how do you take the guy out when the elections are rigged and the political opposition is cowed? I don't know. A little bit closer to home, a story we want to cover more closely in the future is the fact that uh, apparently... My understanding is our governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, issued an emergency order last November 4th, which was little noted upon in the press, that suspended the major provisions of the RN staffing ratio law. As of January 1st of this year, uh, it would be required in medical and surgical units in hospitals all across California to have a one to five patient-to-nurse ratio. In other words, you would not have more than five patients for one nurse. Well, uh, various hospital administrators have been squawking about this, like this is going to cost them too much money. They've apparently had their way, and that uh, this this bill is um, being held in limbo by, by an emergency order from the governor. This is wrong, ladies and gentlemen. We need to have uh, some, some, some legal protection that hospitals in this state are not going to have ratios above five to one. So stay tuned. We're going to try and get a spokesman for the California Nurses Association to come and talk to us about uh, what that's all about. There were some ballot victories uh, this November for tort reform across the United States, something I think, uh, you know, this is one I do not side with the trial lawyers of America. Uh, Maybe it's because I am a physician, but I just think that some of these settlements, it's out of control. In Florida, there's been a, 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 a counter-strike by the trial lawyers. Florida has now passed a three-strikes malpractice law, unlike any other states. It will be an amendment to the Florida Constitution that will automatically revoke the medical license of any doctor hit with three malpractice judgments. Now, keep in mind that the doctors that, that treat the tough patients... The really good doctors are the guys who, you know, are occasionally going to have the bad outcomes and they're going to get sued by these lawyers. Well, in Florida, they're apparently going to launch a uh, a surgical strike upon the doctors in that state. And um, you know, I don't know who I don't know who would practice medicine in the state of Florida. 
this kind of law will uh, will then, of course, you know, prompt doctors in fear to just settle because they don't want to have, you know, they'll settle in court and not have a judgment against them and thereby avoid the three strikes law. This is an example of lawyers controlling the legislature and working to the advantage of lawyers everywhere. I mean, picture this. You've got two judgments against you. Well, wouldn't every lawyer in town line up to sue this guy? Because you know he's going to want to settle and not have a judgment against himself. Crazy. You know, why don't we have a trial lawyer's three strikes law? If you've got three, three judgments against you, then you're, then you're banned from practicing law. One doctor worth quoting, a Dr. Yelverton uh, down in Florida who delivered 10,000 babies in a 33-year career. Enough, he noted, to make a little town. The 63-year-old physician had never been sued, and yet he stopped seeing patients and stopped delivering babies because of the increase in cost of his malpractice insurance and the feeling that at any time he could lose a bundle in a lawsuit, whether it had merit or not. Hey, I tell you what, next time you're in a medical emergency, call your lawyer. That about, that about does it for time. Our thanks go uh, before we leave to Dr. Philip Denny, who will be returning to the program, and I'm sure that uh, that, uh, that will be an interesting discussion about uh, cannabis. I'm Douglas Everett. This program was produced by Edward McVillan. This program was Radio Parallax. We'll see you next Thursday at 5 o'clock, and stay tuned now for Hometown Atrocities to follow. <laughs>